hard for me to not get emotional with that video. Happy Father's Day to all of you dads. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you for this day. From the kids singing VBS songs and us coming off of VBS week, to our hearts being heavy for what happened in Charleston, to it being Father's Day and in that video with adoption and the opportunity to preach. My heart, my emotions are all over the place. And Father, when I'm that way, we need to go to the Word. And so we ask today, God, that Your Word would instruct us, would teach us, would be a light turning on inside of us that we would understand. We ask that You would do that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use Pew Bible, page 1079. 1079-1079. going to preach today on Father's. It's Father's Day. Asking the question, what does the Bible actually tell us that fathers should do? If you have any, any interest or desire to be a good father or a, a father the way God would have you to, then you should turn to God's Word and say, what would God want me to do? That's what we should be doing with all of life, seeing how God wants us to live according to His Word. We're foolish to not do that. And so even with parenting and fatherhood, that's what we want to do. But what you'll find, especially if you're looking for like, five steps or a list of here's what you're supposed to do, you won't necessarily find it. There's not a whole lot in the Bible that says parents or fathers do this. There is a lot that you can get from uh, inference, and there is a lot of example, but there's not a lot. But when Paul writes his letters to the churches, especially Ephesians and Colossians, he does address fathers. And it's very simple. But we're going to look at that today. It's at Ephesians chapter 6. But before I start, I want to read to you a few quotes from one of my favorite guys, Kevin DeYoung, in which he writes in what he calls Parenting 001. He writes, Does it seem like parenting has gotten more complicated? I mean, as far as I can tell, back in the day, parents basically tried to feed their kids, clothe them, and keep them away from explosives. Now our kids have to sleep on their backs. No, wait, their tummies. No, never mind, their backs. While listening to baby Mozart, surrounded by scenes of Starry, Starry Night. And they have to be in piano lessons before they are five, and they're not allowed to leave their car seat until they're about five foot six. It's also involved. There are so many rules and expectations. Kids can't even eat sugar anymore. He goes on and on to talk about how complicated parenting seems. And then he goes through how bad of a parent he is. And he concludes it like this. I look back at my childhood and I think, what in the world did my parents do right? I watched too many Growing Pains episodes, too many reruns. I played a lot of Nintendo Super Tecmo Bowl. I never learned to like granola or to eat my vegetables. But yet I always knew that my parents loved me. They made me go to church every Wednesday and twice on every Sunday. They made us do our homework. They laid down obvious rules, the kind that 
the kinds that keep kids from killing each other. They wouldn't accept any bad language, and I didn't hear any from them. Mom took care of us when we were sick. Dad told us he loved us. I never found porn around the house or booze or dirty secrets. We read the Bible. We got in trouble when we broke the rules. And I don't remember a lot of powerful heart-to-heart conversations, but we knew who we were. We knew where we stood, and we knew what to expect. And I'd be thrilled to give my kids the same. He says he worries that we've made it too complicated and now parents are going to struggle. Here's his final paragraph. I could be wrong. My kids are still young. And maybe this no theory of parenting is a theory of its own. I just know that the longer I parent, the more I want to focus on doing a few things right, a few things really well. And not get too passionate about all the rest. I want to spend time with my kids, teach them the Bible, take them to church, laugh with them, cry with them, discipline them when they disobey, say sorry when I mess up, and I want to pray like crazy. I want them to look back and think, I'm not sure what my parents were doing, or if they even knew what they were doing. But I always knew that my parents loved me, and I know that my parents loved Jesus. Maybe it's not that complicated after all. And I want that article, which I found to be so powerful. If y'all have observed me with five kids, you know I have no idea what I'm doing. And I get asked all the time, literally all the time, if I know what causes that. Yet, I can say with all sincerity and honesty before every one of you, that I want to be a dad. And I love those kids. Yet, as we observe the world, we look around and check out our experience, raising kids is not easy. In fact, they can turn out wrong. That's a heavy weight. We want to raise our kids to love God. That's what the Bible tells us to do. And so I'm asking today, what does God ask us fathers to do? And I hope and I pray that all of you, mothers and fathers, would say, I may not have been that way, but I want to starting today. And I'm not going to allow you for a moment to give an excuse why you cannot. Because there's just... Not an excuse to do what is so simple that God says. May we be encouraged today by that. Ephesians chapter 6, one verse, verse 4. 6 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is a big book, is it not? It is a long book. 66 books. Double column. I mean, this is a long book right here. And that right there is just about it of God's direct order on what fathers are to do. Maybe Kevin DeYoung's right when he says it shouldn't be that complicated. Let's look at this passage, though. God seems to say here to fathers two things. What not to do and what to do. What not to do and what to do. Let's begin with what not to do. Very simply, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't do that. 
Dads are to be people who don't want their children angry. We don't want to live in such a way that they get angry. We don't want to train them in such a way that it makes them angry. We don't want to discipline them in such a way that it makes them angry. God says, don't provoke them to anger. We ought not to be the cause of their anger. We don't want to. Now, as I was reading this and preparing this week, I started thinking, what might he have in mind? There's a lot of different things. If I, if I give Carolina a, a, a sucker, because she loves them, and then Val says, well, she just had one. I just gave her one. And so I say, oh, Carolina, my bad. And I take it from her. She's going to be angry. Is that what he's talking about? Is he talking about a two-year-old over a sucker? Well, what's he talking about? That, that's what I'm asking. And then I started studying, and, and I want to show you something. Turn over to chapter 4. Verse 26, maybe just one page in your Bible. Chapter 4, verse 26. This helped me see. Chapter 4, verse 26, he writes, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Jump down to verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And now you can turn back. I remember that one of the issues that Paul was writing to the church of Ephesus is that a lot of times Christians are angry. If we were to do a poll right now of just the people in this room and we were especially to ask the men, what are some of your biggest struggles? The list would be heavy with anger. I get angry a lot. This is common in men. We desire for things to be a certain way. They're often not. Sometimes from things we can't control. A lot of times because we're not as sharp as we ought to have been. We're not on top of things we should have been. And next thing you know, we're angry. Anger is a problem. Anger is a problem among Christians. Anger is a problem among church people. And if it's a problem in our lives, then it would be a problem in our parenting. Oftentimes, in a family, you have the mom is the one the kids find comfort in, and the dad is the one that kids are scared of. That's pretty common. Well, here at Ephesians 6, he's not saying dads don't be angry, but he is saying that anger's on the radar in our children. Now, I want to make the connection that if you have angry children, it might be because they've seen angry Dad, just last night as I was putting the kids to bed, I saw J.J. kind of swell up and blast Noah for touching his Legos. And before I could blast J.J. for blasting Noah, it dawned on me that that kind of looked like I do. Awful. Sad. Embarrassing. And it is true that us parents are pretty good at frustrating our kids. Well, the environment of the family is to be one in which people are able to grow up. Right? We get 18 years, 21 years with them before they're ready to venture off and not be under our care and responsibility. And what is happening during those short years is they are becoming something. It's a heavy thought, but they are becoming something. We are to so lead them 
So care for them that they're built up. That they grow up. One of the the ways to absolutely crush what they're becoming or what you want them to become. And one of the ways to get them to totally be what they... what you don't want them to be is by provoking them to anger. This happens. Times have changed a little bit and that it's 2015. But I still hear all the time, Josh, you better be careful having five kids and being a preacher. You know what happens to preacher's kids. It's a Regular old stereotype in our culture that preacher's kids are sometimes the worst. That's true, I guess. What do you think made them that way? You think it's a dad who realizes all eyes are on me and they should be the best and so it doesn't really matter if the heart's involved with it. You stand up here and you do those dances and you do those cheers. You make sure you say the right thing. And why didn't you know all the Bible verses and... Probably a lot of that that comes out in pastors, I would imagine. Which is totally not the attitude that will produce in them what they should become. I think it's fascinating that God says, Fathers, don't make your kids angry. In the parallel passage in Colossians, it's verse 321, He says the same thing, but He says to them, He adds a little bit more in Colossians, He says, lest they be discouraged. Can you admit here today that when you're angry, it's really because you're discouraged? You're discouraged over something, and instead of like hiding and shelling up, you explode with anger. Fathers, don't do that. Don't do that. Peter O'Brien says, effectively, the apostle is ruling out excessively severe discipline. That would make your kids angry. If you beat them too much. If you spank them too much. If they don't know why that's happening. If you're too strict on them. If you have rules just to have rules. If you're legalistic. If you're more concerned over the music they listen to than who they're sleeping with. If you're more concerned over how much they text as opposed to what they're texting. This is driving kids crazy. That's excessive. Severe. It's missing the heart. The, pi- the apostle is ruling out unreasonably harsh demands. He's ruling out the abuse of authority. He's ruling out arbitrariness. He's ruling out unfairness. Constant nagging. He's ruling out condemnation. He's ruling out subjecting a child to humiliation. The other day we had some kids over in the backyard and they were playing and one of our kids started crying and I started to make fun of him for crying in front of his friends. Val had to get on me for that. And embarrasses him even more. I was humiliating him. The apostle is ruling out all forms of gross insensitivity. 
insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities. There's a song I listened to recently. It's talking about marriage and family, and it says, this marriage is borrowed, so I'm going to give it back. Meaning that God gave me this wife, and God gave me this marriage, and God gave me this family. I'm not going to take it. When you borrow something, you can't keep it. I know some of y'all think you borrow and you keep it. But when you borrow something, you're supposed to give it back eventually. The Bible tells us plainly that God gave us these children. They're not yours, ultimately. They're God's. They are borrowed. They will be with Him longer than they will be with you. If they get back to Him. With that type of thought, it hurts my soul to think that I might be angering them. That I might be frustrating them. That I might be discouraging them. That I might be provoking them to anger. Fathers, if you're here today and your kids are at times angry with you, would you reevaluate what caused it? Did you sit down and explain why the rules are what the rules are? Did you sit down and explain why you have to say no? Did you sit down and explain why it's a good move for you to not buy them more and more and more? Have you ever just sat down to try to talk it out? I read an article recently that I loved about a guy who's my age who's in the ministry. And all he was talking about is how great his dad was. He said his dad knew that it was important for them to spend one-on-one time together that was about Jesus, doing whatever. He said his dad traveled sometimes, and his dad hated that when he traveled, he would miss days or weeks or nights of being with his son. He said he remembers one time in particular that his dad traveled and and even missed a ball game that week. When his dad got home, he hated that, and he he was mindful of it. The next morning, he went up to the school, and The boy got called to the principal's office and he got called to the office. They said, your dad's here. And he said, son, it's 9 o'clock. You just got to school, but man, I've missed you. And spending time together is really important. Would you like to skip school today? I want to to take you out to the lake. It's just me and you on the lake today. You're a good student. Your grades won't suffer if you miss a day. You and I need this time. I want this time. He said he's never forgotten that. Him and his dad spending a day together, him skipping school by his dad's decision so that him and his dad could form that relationship. A relationship like that certainly is full of structure and discipline or whatever else, but wasn't one or doesn't seem to be one where the kid is going to get angry. The Bible tells us here, don't make your children angry. Don't provoke them to anger. Men, if we are angering our kids, we need to change that. We need to repent. We need to lead the charge in our families of being apologetic. We need to lead the charge in our homes of saying, look, I've messed up. We need to get everybody together and say, look, Dad's got to change a few things. We don't want this home to be one of anger. Does your home have shouting matches? Do people throw things? Does everybody hang out in a different room because you can't stand to be together? These are signs of anger and frustration and being provoked. 
I'm looking to nobody else because God's looking to nobody else. Fathers, don't do that. That's the first thing. What not to do. Don't provoke your children to anger. The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit makes us slow to anger. We want to teach our kids to grow up being slow to anger. We're not easily angered. I don't explode easily. We want to raise our kids to be that way. Secondly, not only what not to do, but what to do, he says. While not provoking your children to anger, he says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up gives us a picture that this takes time. This doesn't happen uh, overnight. This doesn't happen uh, quickly. This happens over a long haul. This is a, a bringing them up. We've been working on this for a good 15, 18, 21 years. A lot of days and nights, a lot of mornings and evenings, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of frustrations, a lot of tears, a lot of times on our knees, this bringing them up. You want to produce in, in, in your parenting, in your fatherhood, children that you are proud of, that you're not ashamed of in the city gates. You've got to keep in mind it is a bringing them up. This takes time. Bringing them up how, though? Because bringing them up, it should be a given. Although we are familiar with people who don't have anybody bringing them up, and that's a shame. It should be a given to bring them up, and bringing them up is not enough. Bringing them up in discipline and instruction. Matthew Henry writes, not only bring them up as men in nurture and admonition, but as Christians in the admonition of the Lord. Listen to this. Let them have a religious education in your home. Instruct them to fear sinning, he says, and inform them of and excite them to the whole of their duty toward God. I love that last sentence. Instruct your children to fear sinning and inform them of and excite them to the whole of their duty towards God. This is what the Bible is talking about. The Apostle Paul, when he says to bring them up in discipline and instruction. Really just two categories. Discipline and instruction. Two categories. R.C. Sproul defines the discipline here as this, very simply. The shaping of the will through training. The shaping of the will through training. We're familiar with discipline. You have to use discipline in everything you do. Discipline in your home with your alarm clock. Discipline in your school. Discipline in your job. Discipline in your ball teams. You have to discipline yourself. You know that. He says discipline is the shaping of the will through training. You have to train your kids to do the right thing. Takes time. Takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of in, intent. It takes a lot of trying and trying and trying. It takes a lot of error. Have you ever done potty training? In order to get somebody potty trained, which all of us are potty trained, there had to be some accidents. But with discipline and focus and training, we were able to get ourselves or our children disciplined and trained in potty training. We're to do this with life. We're to do this discipline in the Lord. We are to train them on what it means to love God. We're to train them on what it means to follow Christ. And part of that is to fear sinning and be excited about God. 
And before we think that that is not possible, let me remind you that it's actually not that challenging when you look at some of the other things we have trained our kids in. It's not just irony that the big blue nation is so big. The reason why the big blue nation is so big is because the fathers are so good at helping their kids love the big blue nation. You buy them shirts, you take them to ball games, you got the TV on, you carve out entire seasons to watch the games. They know the players, they know the unforgettables, they know stuff they've never seen before. We've, we've trained them to be UK fans. We're pretty good at that because we work at it, because we try at it. Because it's in every week, every week, year after year after year, we don't miss a ball game. 40 games this year, well, actually just 39 for UK this year. We watched all 39. Watched all 39 games. That type of a devotion and discipline, year after year, will indeed make you a fan. I love hearing stories of how good dads are at disciplining their children. You've heard me tell the stories of dad that the night before he'd go to work, he'd set up the bucket there, he'd mark off the distance of the pitcher's mound, he'd give me about three buckets of balls, and he'd tell me to get there and work on being a pitcher, and I would throw buckets into the strike zone all day long. Dad would come home and say, how'd it go? There's a reason why I like to throw and catch ball. Dad helped me like that. I know another dad who told me he put a metal pole in the ground and hooked the tire to it and made his boy go out there and, and hit, hit his bat against the tire so he can get stronger, work on his bat speed and be a better hitter. He's a good hitter because dad helped him. Discipline and training toward it. We know how to do this. God tells us to do it in the Lord. Church is a priority. Scripture is a priority. Prayer is a priority. Giving is a priority. Hating our sins is a priority. Repenting of our sins is a priority. Just like other things are. We discipline ourselves in the Lord. The other one is instruction. And R.C. Sproul calls it the shaping of the mind through teaching. He's broken both of this down to say the shaping of the will through training and the shaping of the mind through teaching. That we teach. We teach our kids. We want to explain things to them. Every once in a while when we're riding to church and I bring all three boys with me early when I come early in the morning, I'll say, why we go to church? And they throw out those answers that are wrong, like to learn about God. And I say, that's not the answer. We learn about God everywhere we are. Everything we experience is teaching us about God. You can, you can learn about God without church. That's not the answer. The answer why we, why we go to church is because we're meeting with other people that believe to worship Him. See, we worship Him every day too. We're here right now so we can worship together. That's what the Bible tells us to do. I hope you're going to worship Him tomorrow. This day was special because we're worshiping Him together. And we talk about those things. We teach those things. You don't have to turn there, but if you're taking notes, just listen to a few passages. Genesis chapter 18. This is talking about Abraham. 18.18 it says, Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Listen, 
For I have chosen Him that He may command His children and His household after Him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what He has promised him. In God choosing and working and saving Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, God says, I've done it so that He will instruct His children so that they would know the way of the Lord. It was on Abraham for his children to know about him. We turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9 says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Listen to this. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We have this in our house. It says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Listen. You shall teach them diligently to your children shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. God telling us that we should be talking about the Word of God to our children when we sit, when we walk, when we lie down, and when we rise. We should be talking about the Word of God to our children. If we do, no wonder they love the Word of God. If we don't, no wonder they don't. And then I want to show you a passage that I think is outstanding. Turn to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. God has delivered His people out of Egypt. We've just been through the ten plagues. You remember this? Moses is the leader of the people of Egypt. In chapter chapter 13 of Exodus, you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is a celebration that they will have to remember that God rescued them out of slavery. God has saved them. In verse 8 of chapter 13, he says, You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. See, God was picturing this feast that they would have every year And it would become a tradition, it would become a ritual, and it would be way in the past. And the kids would say, well, what is this Feast of Unleavened Bread that we do anyway? I mean, why are we even doing it? And God says they're going to ask, and when they ask, you're going to tell them about what God has done. You're going to tell them about how God has worked. You're going to tell them about how God has saved you and what He's done. Jump over a little bit to verse 14. He says it again. I love this verse. It says, And when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. Guess what? JJ already asked me this week, uh... There's a boy on my baseball team who doesn't know his dad. I thought, and his mom's not married. I thought you only had babies if you're married. How'd that happen? I said, I'll tell you later. Kids ask questions. And they should. We need to have answers. Why am I a man wearing this jewelry on this finger on my left hand? Why do I read the Bible? 
Why do you, when money's tight and the kids are asking you for new shoes, say no to the new shoes and come to church on Sunday morning and yet put money in the offering plate? Why, why would you do that? Why do they ask for an ice cream and you say, no, we're not, not going to spend money on that $5 ice cream. And then you come here and you put money in the offering plate and kids say, well, what's up with that? we got answers for that. Why do we serve people? Why do we turn the other cheek? Why in the world in this Charleston shooting would they stand in the courthouse, I don't know if you've seen this, but say, we forgive you, turn to Jesus? Why? Kids are going to ask. Kids are going to ask. And in Exodus 13, he says, And when in time to come your son asks you, What does this mean? You shall say to him, God did this. God did this. We turn back now to Ephesians not enough to bring your children up. It's not enough, although culture would argue differently, it's not enough to bring your kids up in fear and admonition. It's not enough to bring your kids up in discipline and instruction. Some people are really good at that. There's some parents out there that are good parents produce some good kids. But it's not a fear and admonition or instruction and discipline of the Lord, in the Lord. Here's where we get to the, the gist of it. John Calvin writes, kind and liberal treatment has rather a tendency to cherish reverence for their parents and to increase the cheerfulness and activity of their obedience, while a harsh and unkind manner rouses them to obstinacy and destroys the natural affections. It's natural for kids to love their parents. Something goes wrong in the parenting when they don't. That's what he's pointing out. Peter O'Brien, great commentator today, says, ultimately the concern of parents is not simply that their sons and daughters will be obedient to their authority. That's not our goal. But that through this godly training and admonition, their children will come to know and obey the Lord Himself. That's what we're wanting. I had a man this morning, I'd never heard this, telling me about how great his father was. He said he was a single dad that their mom ran away. I just heard this this morning for the first time. He said he was a single dad. Their mom left them early on. Said they were poor. His dad couldn't even find work. He was in and out of work all the time. But he said his dad was so good. He said the kids would disobey. He'd bring all three of them together. He'd pull out something and he would, he would whip them. He would spank all three. And he said their dad, being a single dad, would just start crying. Tears rolling down his face. He'd say, y'all come here. He'd wrap his arms around him and say, listen kids, I love y'all. I ain't mad at y'all. I want you to know what it means to grow up, be the right person, do the right thing. And this is how you create that. But I want you all to know I love you all. I don't want to do that again. You disobey, it'll happen again, but I don't want to. What a good picture. I said, man, that's a good dad. Tears rolling down his face because he loves his kids and he just wants to train them. Peter O'Brien goes on to say, Presumably, when these words, talking about Ephesians 6.4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. When these words from the household table were read to them, they had already heard and remembered what Paul had written earlier in the letter. That is, namely, that their fatherhood was derived from one God and Father of us all. When, people, when your children are hearing about you being their father, their mind should be going to, well, God is ultimately our father. Just like the kids in the video said, we have a heavenly father and he's a good father. Us being a father should cause them to think about what type of father God is. And that's what he's saying. 
and that God's mighty work of reconciliation in His Son had been effected in order to form, quote, one multinational, one multicultural family of God. Let them then, as, or let them as human fathers then, care for their families as the Father cares for His family. And there is no denying the love of the Father toward us. That bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned He stood. We just sang that. That in love God sent Jesus to die for us. And even though we were so disobedient, Christ died for us. And the Father did not turn His back on us. Matter of fact, turned His back on Him, Jesus, on the cross because He loved us. And His love will not lose. We will be saved through Christ. May we here today hear the words of the Bible on God telling us what not to do and what to do. And may we be challenged, both moms and dads, to be those who look like God to our families. As I said earlier, there's really no room for us to make excuses. It doesn't matter if you've been not so great at this for the last 60 years. Maybe this is your first year. I was talking to Micah about this. This is Micah's first ever Father's Day with a child. A lot to think about. And yet there's a lot of people in our church who are pregnant right now. They're just now starting to think about it. May God, through His Word, be teaching us what He wants us to be like. May we be eager to love our children, to bring them up. May it be our goal that one day, J.J., Eli, Noah, Carolina, Liliana will be 20, 25, 30 years old. And they'll be making a difference in the world. And they'll say, Mom and Dad brought me up this way. Brought me up. Brought me up. May we look to God. If you're here today and you haven't looked to God on how to parent, I encourage you to today. You can start anytime. Start now. Don't waste this opportunity. Make a change. Make a change. Make a change in your parenting style. Your kids will love it. If you become a better parent, they'll love it. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, this is all new to you. You don't know Christ. Believe on Him today and be saved. Allow your life to be changing and your parenting will follow. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we love You. And we love it that Your Word speaks to us on what to do and what not to do. God, I confess for myself and for the dads in here, God, that we have often not measured up. We ask that You would forgive us and we believe in Christ for forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that You would move in our hearts, that we would be parents that love You. And our love for You and Your love for us now flows over into our families for the sake of our children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.